Hi, I'm Georgia Graham, and I'm a writer, editor, and pretty much retired model. This is Threads of Conversation, a show on the standard London Sometimes Radio, where I talk to creative people about their life and career, as told via clothes. Today, my guest is Raven Smith. Raven is a writer and cultural critic, often called the funniest man on the internet, thanks to his hilarious Instagram and witty one-liners. In 2020, he released his debut book, Raven Smith's Trivial Pursuits, which went on to become a Sunday Times bestseller. And in April 2022, he's due to release his second, Raven Smith's Men. Raven, welcome to the show. Uh, I don't know what to say. All true. All very flattering. All true, all true. Yeah, yeah, My head's funny. too big. We'll never get out of this booth. <laughs> <laughs> We're locked in. That's it now. Um, so let's start with your first item. So the first piece that you have chosen is the item that reminds you of your childhood. So please, can you tell us what you've... And if you've forgotten, I can remind no, you. No, I know exactly <laughs> what it is. Um, I went back to my mum's house the other day and the, uh, she she had some old photos out and she also had this pattern for a super Ted jumper <laughs> that she knitted for me when I was... I must have been about three or four. And by the time she finished it, I was... Six and it was far too small for me, so I never actually got into the super Ted She didn't jumper. scale the knitting. Project. <laughs> she just stopped for a bit. I mean, she's a she's a uh, you know an only uh, a single working mom, so maybe she was busy making ends meet yeah. rather than knitting them together. Uh, but the super Ted jumper still stands out in my memory as like that was a classic of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Who can you tell us about super Ted? Oh. I wonder what I know about Super Ted. There's a, a few kind of figures from my childhood that I should Google. Super Ted and Teddy Ruxpin. Do you remember mm-hmm. either of those? Anyone no. with a Ted was yes. very much popular. I was a bear Smith. man. <laughs> I liked bears even at a young age. Uh, I, I, I can't remember anything about Teddy Ruxpin apart from he had a spinning rucksack. And Super Ted was like a super hero teddy bear going back to your mum in interviews and things you talk about a lot about your mum she Mm. was obviously a big influence in life can you tell us a bit about her Uh, what do you want to know my mum raised me on her own and I think I I think a lot of only children and single parent mothers have quite a close relationship I absorbed a lot of kind of worry as well as being really close with my mum and thinking she was great in terms of style influences you're obviously you know, internationally regarded as a very stylish man. Thank you. Funniest man on the internet. Thank you. Um, can you tell me about how your sense of, were you a stylish kid? Was your mum particularly stylish? Was Ooh. there a teacher that you had that looked, looked dressed so sharp and you were like, oh, I want to dress like that? I definitely remember talking to my mum about what she was wearing a lot. She wore a lot of leggings and jumpers and bum bags. So I, I wouldn't say that... Heavy 80s vibe. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like, I wouldn't say I was heavily influenced by the leggings and bum bags and jumpers. Uh, But I I was always encouraged to express myself in any way necessary. And I think I always was very certain about the kind of clothes I wanted to wear, whether or not they were completely appropriate. Um, And how would you describe your style in general now if you were to sort of like, what is your style personality? Oh, uh, let's think. What is my style? I'm, I'm a kind of minimalist when it comes to shoes and trousers and socks. I like navy blue and black and like not too showy and then I'm an absolute maximalist when it comes to shirts mm-hmm. and blazers and I love a nice suit uh, but I guess I always have this thing that a man only needs one great suit which is true but the more 
times people send me a suit to wear, I'm just like, oh, it's just just something to a man's body, not just mine, that I think, oh, I need 400 suits. I should live in suits. Uh, But in the meantime, I'm in very straight leg, nice trousers, flat flat as flat can be shoes. I always find if I've got like even the tiniest heel, my kind of pony's legs turn into nag's legs. (laughs) (laughs) It's not quite so flattering i don't like boots that much i just feel like if you've got long legs i, I mean for a no, long this time is super useful for all the prs <laughs> yeah. out there who are like okay what do we all send the boots PRs? yeah exactly it's like okay all right maybe not the boots maybe we'll send the loafers yeah there's a there's a there's a dr martin's pr throwing some boots down in, in into the bin and finding those shoes with a clear sole which is quite a vibe i love a gum sole but then i also like to be surprised and in terms of uh like when you were at school what kind of subjects did you enjoy were you always did you always know you wanted to be a writer were you always into English and sort of you know were you always a wordsmith oh something interesting has happened to me in the last four years when I started writing four years ago Mm -hmm. I I, you know I am have always enjoyed I've always had a biggish mouth never been particularly shy uh I've always been coversely very very thoughtful maybe overthinking things and since I started writing it, it has converged on all of the things it seemed like it seemed it feels like such a logical conclusion from all the stuff that I've done I love communicating with people I love a good story and actually writing them down has been a way for me to I I find writing quite um both exposing and exciting for that so I find it really really difficult it's the hardest thing I do but therefore it's the most rewarding and it ticks just thousands of boxes in terms of like what I want to do with my day what I want to do with my life so I have found writing incredibly kind of like oh ding the light bulb's on I don't know why I wasn't writing before more so because I wish I'd found it sooner but then I feel like a lot of things you know I'm, I'm you know well, officially I'm 32, but I feel like if I had found this sooner, I probably would have squandered it. It would have gone to my head. I quite like, you know, n- more and more people knowing who I am now that I'm a bit more certain of who I am rather than when I was 21 because I was a fool. Yeah, I'm so <laughs> really glad own. no one, not that only my close friends know that how much of a fool I was when I was 21. I know, it's that thing where you're like, thank God I didn't have a blog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, imagine. So I guess that leads us on to talking a bit about your career. So can mm. you tell us about the piece um, that you chose to remind you of your career? Oh my God, I can't remember what it was. What was it? Tell me. <laughs> so you put for this one that you bought chords when you were mimicking oh. other writers. And this is a reference to Capote in um, Venice, which was the schmood. Yeah, so when I first started my book, rather than actually writing it, I got really into thinking about the way that writers write. And every writer will tell you that they have a certain way of writing and it's all magic and this alchemy of the perfect situation where they write. Some people are like not whinge writers. They they, They can just crack out stuff all the time. I'm not professionally trained. And I think if I had worked in a more traditional print magazine I might have spent more time like writing profile after profile after profile you know uh creating more writing stuff so I I was never a confident writer from the beginning and I think um I got really into working out about writers and I got really into Truman Capote 
in... I knew I said the last name wrong. That's fine. I, it's one of those rights where I'm like, I've never known... You know when you meet someone at a party yeah. and you don't quite catch their name and then you know them for two years? Yes. It's way too late. <laughs> That's basically what I have. And I yeah. remember I, went, I read White Girls by Hilton House recently. It was that thing where I was like, oh, I, the, the, the Capote, Capote, I'm not quite... She just looked Capote. I'm assuming it's Capote, but now I'm not sure. Anyway, I looked at so many pictures of him in Venice looking stunning. It's in my first book when I'm like, I just wanted to dress like a writer. That was the first step on my journey into writing this book. Um, but I got really, I, I, there's something about Cord that is so unflattering. And yet for me is like, I can't get enough of it. I will be searching forever for the perfect pair of green cords. And um, you actually went to Venice recently to write your new book. I did. So I, um, I find that modern life in great beautiful city of London is too noisy for me to actually churn out text churn out text makes writing sound really sad but uh I have to sort of yeah I have to experience as much as possible and then retreat and write and to and uh so the I was working my first book I wrote almost exclusively in Berlin in like three chunks uh, about a month, a month, a month. And then this one, I was in Berlin for Oct- about this time last year, October time. I was there for a month. The, at the end of kind of when things were starting to open up in the pandemic, it reclosed again. Mm-hmm. And then I couldn't go back to Berlin. I went across, halfway across London. I was living just off the West Way, <laughs> near Westfield, just in, this, in a heat wave, just typing, feeling really sweaty and sad and typing. And then this this round of edits... Um, I basically had a credit for Airbnb and Airbnb in Berlin was not singing for me. It wasn't doing what I needed it to do. There was no romance. And I was like, I need a little bit of romance. Uh, And Venice just was, just came lolloping out of the mist. So I was in a beautiful palazzo on the Grand Canal, uh, writing and then- Wearing cords. Wearing (laughs) cords, writing, pensively looking out the window at the water and then typing more and more. It was great. I mean, it was fantastic. There's something about Venice. It's so stupid that it's there. It's so improbable and impossible that there's this city that is run on waterways. Uh, and I just never, I, I will never get over the kind of feeling arrested by that in some way. We all think of you these days as sort of a writer, some, well, you know, presenter, cultural critic, mm. but sort of, you know, someone that works with words. But actually... As I, as I found from your LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but I also already knew, is that, um, <laughs> uh, you know, you you worked at Nowness for a while, you mm-hmm. were creative director, um, you know, can you tell us a bit about the work that you did before you came to your sort of current, you know, do you call it a job? Uh, you know, as writer and author and... Yeah. Uh, well, I worked at Nowness. <laughs> I was at Nowness. Unless you don't want to talk about no, it. No, no, no. God, I had a great time at Nowness. Uh, I was, I felt like... I don't know. I was there for eight years, so I, I do see the transformation from like acorn to acorn to some kind of tree oh, at the end. Acorn, like acorn. <laughs> <laughs> from acorn to Kanye. <laughs> uh, so I uh, uh, I learned a lot about what I like and what I don't. I I think because you're learning on your feet, and I think a lot of people, having walked away from it, I can see the good and bad of working in an office in such close proximity on such quick turnarounds with 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 people uh so i i think of it fondly and also i think oh i don't know if i could ever 
go back into a situation where I'm reliant on a on a team to to make something happen. That, that, that one of the things I love about my way of writing books is that it's so the pressure is on me to say something great, and I I can't rely on anyone else. I love that that spotlight, and I think when you're in a team, you have a load of ben. You, you are never fully the last stop in in the in the in on the train. There's mm. always a, a thousand other people, and that's not to say I don't have a brilliant editor, I don't have a publishing t- a, a book publishing team, I don't have an agent who is helping me make money in other ways because books are notoriously difficult to kind of live off. What writing, you know, has become devalued. I don't want to whinge about writing because I've been in it a very short amount of time. I know a thousand girls would kill to be writing their second bestseller, knock on wood. But it's like it's become so devalued in our society that, you know, I still get people being like, I've got 60 quid for you to write a thousand words. Even now. And I'm like, guy, I don't know what to do. I like you're ruining the industry by because yeah, yeah, yeah. someone will do it for that. So we, we perpetuate the idea that right words are of low value and I want them to be the most valuable thing that we do. I know I had this when I um, I essentially my first retirement when I retired from modelling and I started you know I was writing and doing journalism yeah. I basically had this joke where I was like I, tr- I sort of swapped because I went from a job that paid a lot for very little like time investment yeah. and was not spiritually fulfilling at all to something that was incredibly fulfilling took me so long and paid absolutely yeah. nothing yeah yeah I think <laughs> but I also think despite you know, my mum <clears throat> paying my rent for me when I was at university. But I think there is, despite my privilege, didn't have time to knit the jumper. <laughs> sure, but you have to start every industry from the bottom. So I, I don't think people thought of me as a writer. Obviously, when I started writing, and I had to, you you sort of cannot. You have to make people have to think of you a certain way in order to employ you in a certain way. In the same way that now I'm doing more presenting, you don't just start presenting on the BBC. You just you do enough little presenting jobs that people think of you when they're looking for a presenter. So I spent a long. I think the hardest part of the kind of like going freelance. I had this idea that I would say yes to everything, so I was saying yes to all this writing work. But it's actually really hard to be, a, you know to start every day and write something brand new on a brand new subject and that's what you have to do in order to 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 make a living from writing you're like i have to write about something completely brand new and be an expert in it and tell the story from start to finish and tomorrow i have to do it again and the next day about something else and the next day i have to do it again about something else and i found that so tough <laughs> and now i'm in this stage where it's like I, I, I'm completely in love with writing my vote column every week. I'm completely in love with writing my book. I don't need to work on more stuff that is, like, nice. I don't need to write more than that because I'm really pouring myself into that stuff. So I feel much more happier to say, no, I'm not going to write 500 words on, you know... I think a lot of people, because I know I'm known for like liking going out, liking to have a party, I get a lot of like perfect party pieces and I'm just like, I don't know if I can sit at my desk and talk about parties at, at this side of the pandemic. I'm like, I've been writing You're about like, I'm so sorry, what I can't parties remember like. what happened last <laughs> yeah. night. Just, no, but it's also like, I can't keep writing about ha- how a party feels. I just want to go to parties. Yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah. about writing about them at the moment. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to your next piece. So this is the piece. Speaking of part, speaking unfortunately of party, perfect. Oh, I can't, great! It's a tongue twister. Perfect party pieces. Perfect party pieces. <laughs> um, that probably was really ASMR. Um, so the piece that reminds you of a high. So this 
such a such a fab piece, or rather sort of set. Can you tell us about what you've chosen for this? I've one? forgotten again. Okay, so this one is the emerald green Gucci mm. suit that you borrowed for your first ever fashion awards, oh. and that they then gifted you. Oh right, yeah. That's so this the- is a look. Tell us. <laughs> so uh, tell tell me about the suit, um, and also about going to the fashion awards. I mean, that's such. It's like sort of you know, it's like the British Oscars. Dream come true. Uh, I went to. Uh, we were renovating our house, which is fine. Uh, and we, I, I was living out of a bag, uh, so all of my nice clothes were in storage. I had a lot of stealth things to wear, and I got invited to the Fashion Awards, and I was like, it's fine, I'm just going to wear a nice shirt, it's going to be fine. And the day of the awards, I thought, I should probably push the boat out a little bit. Uh, and I emailed my friend at Gucci, and I said, do you have a suit I <laughs> can wear tonight? Alessandro Michele. <laughs> My friend Alessandro. It wasn't Alessandro. Uh, I said, do you have anything I can wear tonight? And he replied and said, yes. And he sent this kind of like dingy picture of a green suit. And I sent it to my mate and I was like, I don't know. And she was like, no, it looks okay. So I, they uh, they sent it to me. I went and picked it up and it was the most beautiful emerald green suit that I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, I went to the sh- to the awards. I moisturised twice. I went to the awards, and someone took my picture. And people were like tweeting it while I was still on the red carpet. And I was like, "Oh, ho, ho, ho. this is this is a good suit. It's being validated." And I don't. I think I'm a real one for like going out dancing, throwing loads of shapes. And I just re- vividly remember going to the after party and feeling so assured in this suit that felt so beautiful and so expensive essentially and like luxurious and it had such a great cut it fit me like a dream and I just remember just walking out onto the dance floor walking back like I I was like I don't need moves I don't need anything apart from this suit the suit is the move it's the it's cards on the table it's the trump card of this whole entire experience it was brilliant uh sent it back to them and my friend was getting married and I was like listen that suit is amazing. I still think about that night. Can I buy it? And they were like, we're just going to send it to you. Oh and now goodness. it's mine. Have you worn it again since? Yes, loads of times. Uh, I try, I'm trying to ration it so it feels special. A bit like how I don't watch um, Jurassic Park more than once a year. Because <laughs> I, I, I still want to feel a bit special in it. Uh, but it, I, I've worn the trousers on their own, which is quite nice. Uh, my best friend's getting mad, and it is the suit that is penciled to be worn. It just depends on the accessories. Mm. Can you tell us about the suit that you wore to this? Because you wore a pretty amazing suit to this year's Fashion Awards as well. Yes, um, I wore Dior. Uh, they sent two different suits uh, and... One of them was black and it had kind of like a Dior imprint on the lapel and it was really pretty and really minimal. And then they sent this grey suit, which was this kind of... I'm it was trying so beautiful. Not, I'm it was trying like not to of, say... You know, like sort of shiny oyster sort of... It was stunning. Like. And it had this kind of interior waistcoat that did up to the neck. So it had a sort of funnelly neck in the same material as the, the jacket. The earring was very good as well. Oh, yes. And then I had this earring that was like... Um, it was sort of... It, it's uh, like half uh, amber stones and half kind of teeth of pearl. Mm-hmm. And it was quite dangly and it felt brilliant. You're like, you're like, come on, come on, tweet this, tweet this. I knew it when I... I but the, I, I got sent a lot of options, which is great. Um, and this was the most kind of refined and poised. It There were some really shouty things that were sent to me and I love a loud suit. And I, lo- and I was like, oh, I want the loud one. But I just thought... Sometimes you just 
got to dress sharp as sharp as you can, mm-hmm. razor sharp, and it felt razor sharp when I put it on. Perhaps which is that nice. is perhaps part of the key to your success as well as obviously you know your sort of rightly talented things. The fact that you've had such a successful last two years mm. and you're very into a printed shirt and what works well on a Zoom call? Oh, printed shirt. That's yes. really how to win at Zoom dressing. I mean, I can't believe how little I had to pivot <laughs> in this pandemic. I was like, no, I, but I, I'm already sitting at home showing, my, showing off my life. Uh, so I'll just keep on doing that. So you referenced there your sort of pandemic experience, yes. um, which leads us on to your next piece, which is the piece that reminds you of a low. Um, so you have referred to your pandemic capsule, yeah. um, but referenced that you still love some of the shirts. So can you tell us about what is your pandemic capsule? So we weren't living in our house when the pandemic started. We were living... I in feel a- like we've all been really on the renovation journey. Which, by the way, <laughs> maybe I speak for myself, but I'm so ah, invested. It's nearly there. Um, we... Uh, so I, uh, And I went to Berlin to finish my first book. So 5th of Jan, I got back. Uh, and it, rather than going back to my parents' house, I just lived out of like a, a wheelie suitcase, like an overhead luggage suitcase. So I had like seven pairs of pants that I washed. I had three or four going out shirts. Mm-hmm. So like really jazzy, loud shirts, one pair of nice trousers. I'm and just then imagining yoga a chain wear. mail top from <laughs> Bend It Like Beckham. <laughs> I, had, I had nipple tassels and a hat. Uh, and uh, the pandemic hit. And so I was just trapped with my husband. Okay, fine, not trapped. Just, trapped is the wrong word. We were living in our mate's house, in our mate's flat in Highgate. And I just had party clothes and yoga wear so all i have to show for my pandemic looks is like a jump i bought a jumper yep and then it's like if you've seen the pictures from the from the capsule it's like sports shorts and a jumper and i i lived in that and then every so often i'd put on a jazzy shirt to microwave my dinner and then go (laughs) back to bed (laughs) so i and I still love the shirts, but they became a prison because the, the variety was so gone. I think when you have loads of your stuff in storage, you're ju- you, I was so excited. I had this one, I had a pink bomber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like so inappropriate. And I was like, every time I went for a walk, I was like, I'm in my pink bomber. I was like, <laughs> I, I love my pink bomber because it's like silky. So it's like being a pink lady and kaniki at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Like it's, 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 you know, it's got a bit of gruffness to it. But I was by by the time the pandemic was like we could get back into the, our storage unit. I was sick to death of the pink bomber, and it's only in the last couple of weeks that I've worn it again. I was like, oh, "This is a great bomber. Why have I been hiding?" I think I got sick of absolutely everything that I was wearing, and I had no no capsule to move out of. It was such a sleek capsule that turned into poison chalice. <laughs> um, so you mentioned your husband. Do you and your husband have similar style? No, uh, yes and no. Uh, oh, that's such a good question. Yeah, uh, I... Thank you for saying that. Sometimes <laughs> when he asks me about an outfit and it looks too Raven Smith, I might be like, it does look a little bit like the kind of thing I would wear. But I, just, I also think he's, a, he, he's much more minimal than me. He's much more about kind of... He dresses more like how a lot of men dress, which is like blue, black, grey. Mm-hmm. But he does it with, with real style. It's, it's not boring. But, and I think he's also, in more recent times, come into his own in terms of like, oh, he's got like leather trousers now, which is cool. 
Do you guys share clothes at all? No. No, no. Not on your life. <laughs> I've been burnt so many times with lovers just shrinking stuff. I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to look after my own clothes. <laughs> I didn't curate this for it to be tumble dried. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you released your first book during the pandemic. Can yeah. you tell us a bit about that experience? Uh, well, apparently I was robbed of the experience of releasing a book, how it's meant to be released. But for me, it felt quite sort of... We were so close to it coming out. So we, it came out the first week of April. So we locked down and then it was, we were meant to come out of lockdown before the three, the three weeks of lockdown were meant to finish and I was meant to be still maybe having a party. Uh, so I basically did all of my press from home and I think that was good and bad in the same way that I can, you know, be shiny and chatty now quite quickly. I I think that's a skill that I really honed at the beginning. But I, I remember so vividly just, you know, sitting around all day and then having to like present something or do a reading and just getting the energy up to do that felt so hard at the time. And now it feels much more like much. I don't know. Something happened where these what the, I had I did like three online events and they all felt so intense and now I could do three online events a day mm. and I'd be like great let's go I, yeah, yeah. you know I, I didn't have the confidence to know how to do it but having done it now I now I now I know I know that I can I mean knock on wood we won't lock down before the next book is out I think a lot of other writers were like you were really robbed for, of like me, seeing people in the flesh that had read your book like mm. I've only been it's only been the last couple of months when I meet people that are like I've read your book which is obviously a very small, a very small problem. Oh, I think it's have. a very small number, and I was like, uh, "Sunday Times Bassett, I think it's a lot." Sure, of people. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it's not like um, I think when you go to like when you do like a paperback launch, every like the most of the people there have read the book, which we, we couldn't do because it was locked down. So I think I haven't had that bit where I'm like in the middle of a room at my own book launch. Mm. Which is also not the end of the world. But I've, I, you know, I think a lot of authors aren't know what that experience is. And think, and they're like, oh, it's, it's like the payoff yeah, yeah, for yeah. sitting on your own all the time, stuck in your own head. So I, 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 in some ways I was, that was stolen from me by the pandemic. But, you know, I was healthy. And you've written another one. So you've got another, I've written another, another, you've got another one. Go. <laughs> yeah, so it would be very weird to kind of go into another. We, we talked about doing an after party and then it just never really came. It never felt like the right time to be having a party to say, oh, I, d- I had a good time in the pandemic. Yeah, How about yeah. you? <laughs> uh, so hopefully this next book will be able to do something that is like celebrates me having worked on it. Someone else can make sure the champagne is pouring and we're away. Celebrating wearing cords in Venice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> so let's move on to your next piece. So this is the piece that made you feel a part of something. Yeah. And so for this category, you have chosen your Bodhi shirts. Yeah. That one I do know how to you pronounce. Do, you got it, you got it. Um, and you said that these make you feel like part of a community because of the list of history in the pieces. So um, for those that might not be familiar with the brand, can you tell us a bit about Bodhi and why you love them so much? Yeah, Bodhi just won CFDA Designer of the Year. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, run by Emily Bodie, uh, and the idea. What do we say about Bodie? It's a sustainable brand. Just doing in, another plug for a thing. That yeah. isn't this show. <laughs> it's a sustainable brand that uses kind of found fabric to make new garments. Um, but something about it, it is very uh, man of the world. It feels like the Bodie man is a man who's who travels well and knows the best place to have you know 
an egg, a poached egg, in any city at any time of day. Uh, it just for me, it really speaks to something that feels quite rare and unique. The design is, in some respects, quite out there, but there's a lot of kind of straight up, slightly boxy shirts in brilliant fabrics. And for me, that is like, it feels really special. I like stuff, you know, I love a, a Prada shirt and I love a Prada print and see and, and knowing that like thousands of people are wearing the Prada print. I'm into that too. But I love that Bodhi feels like, oh, this was maybe a tablecloth. <laughs> and, and now I'm wearing it and probably no one else has done that with the, with a tablecloth like this so it feels really special and rare and like I feel good in a Bodhi shirt and in terms of like luxury fashion I mean you spoke before about how amazing you felt in um, that emerald Gucci suit mm. and how special these pieces are I mean hopefully yeah, everyone's going and googling Bodhi now the yeah. pieces are quite expensive mm. and there is that sort of are you someone that do you love to splurge on clothes are you someone that saves up for the perfect thing do you feel like you know are you more of a high street shopper like what's your relationship with kind of luxury fashion yeah good question I am a real one for quality basics what what's my relationship with luxury fashion I just like things that feel like they're rare and sometimes that's because of the price. Yeah. <laughs> but I, like, I live in Cos jeans. Like, I will buy... I I don't have any other jeans. I have two pairs of jeans, both from Cos, and I wear them until the crotch is gone, and then I buy some more. And that has been true for as long as I remember. I will buy Uniqlo socks. So I think you can, I have cycles of stuff that is very high street. But I'm, I, I like, you know, good quality, long-lasting clothes. So I'd much rather have a white shirt from Margaret Howe than somewhere on the high street that it will not survive more than one season. I always hope that my... I feel like to be... To sort of arrive at, like, having good style, you basically have to go through loads of bad phases. Yes, yeah. And I'm never quite sure, like, I'm dressed pretty tamely, but I'm never quite sure whether I'm still in the bad phases or I've arrived. I but I have this feeling that my arrival, well, I have it's more like a dream, that my arrival point will look like a sort of Margaret Howell person. Like, do you know yes. what I mean? I'm like, that, I think that's maybe the end, maybe that's the end that's point. That's where you should end up. That's like the fourth <laughs> album. I wonder if I'm going to be, like, a glamorous grandpa in a jazzy shirt does it, does it feel so jazzy i'm like oh i could still dance um but i also i, I think you do just go through stages of prop i think if you are someone who is thought of as dressing with style you kind of have to have a currentness in your currency so it inevitably you age out of that mm. and I, like I think of the stuff that i i think two things one the stuff i used to wear is crazy because none of it would fit so i shopped almost exclusively from charity shops in the kind of pursuit of not spending money and unique pieces that weren't everywhere and I just nothing really fits you when you're six foot four and three quarters uh at 21 uh so I remember always having my wrists out always like always being a bit chilly my favorite everything is the a bit seven eight small. jeans it was like oh they're meant to be I'm like they're not they're, they're not. not like I'm no. like that person's trying them on in their full length yeah 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 <laughs> so a lot yeah a lot of too, slightly too short trousers um, but then I, someone sent me a picture from like four years ago and I'm wearing the same bomber and jeans and shoes that I was wearing. Is it the pink wearing... bomber? <laughs> no, it's, it's, a bl <laughs> it's the blue version of the pink bomber. But it's almost like, oh, maybe, and part of me was like, oh, it's great because I'm not just on this kind of high turnover of day-to-day -day wear. But I'm also was like, or am I in a rut? <laughs> <laughs>
Who will know? I know that Who thing can where tell? Like, have I found my timeless perma yeah. style or am I in a rut? Have <laughs> I found my fashion language or have I just stopped speaking? <laughs> One thing I want to ask you that kind of it sort of relates to what you referenced. So you said in terms of what you wear, yeah. you um, there needs to be a sense of a certain zeitgeisty currentness to it yeah. if you're someone that is a sort of cultural commentator and stuff. And I wanted to ask you about it in terms of, so you have this incredible Instagram presence, you know, mm-hmm. you're so on it. Like bef- you're, you're thinking the thing we're thinking before we even know we're thinking it. And you do these witty, you know, captions. But then increasingly in your writing, you're also, you know, you're writing more long form, you're writing books. Mm. You are being more thoughtful and pensive in a way that's not necessarily so immediate. Like, is that something you have to consciously think about balancing? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Uh, To answer your question, yes. Uh, It was, I found it really tough to work out the duality of that when I wrote my first book and I th- actually think I love my first book and my a- my editor's always like it's a good book and it is but I think it was me picking a subject and then giving a lot of wit and moments around that subject uh, and almost proving to myself and the reader and whoever else <laughs> wait <laughs> there is no one else <laughs> but uh, that I could write that I could be like I can tell you I can say 10 great things about summer and we can all be like, oh, this is really clever and smart and it's using a pun oh, and it's using a lyric from, uh, you know, um, uh, I was going to say Airbnb from R&B. <laughs> I thought you going to say Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> but it's like, it's all part of this game that we're playing where it's like, we're all witty thinking people and that's what we're doing. And I loved writing that and being like that. And I think that's what my Instagram does. We are kind of trying to be, we're trying to be witty about, about the, the, not the banality of life, but like, I can see the absurdity of living life today and worrying about a shirt because it seems so silly and yet it's so important. And that's a trivial pursuit, right? It's the small thing does matter. Uh, and I think the second book is much... I, I, I just grew... I, I grew in... When I did the press for my first book, I wrote a, an essay about my dad for The Observer on a Sunday. And it just... I basically just said what happened. Uh, in uh, I talked about our relationship and I felt that need to be whirling and twirling and showing off in my writing was less important than mm. getting the story across. And this next book is like, I'm going to just tell you about these things that have happened. And there are still moments that are more breathy and, you know, oh, oh little moments about certain, like little quick bits. But this is much more of a book, a book of like, this is what happened on that day. And, and that's how I remember it. And that's not to say it doesn't have wit and humour and it's 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 dumbed down. I just haven't got this fear of like, I have to entertain you while I tell this story. I just have to tell the story. Mm. And in terms of remaining, you know, when you sort of sequester yourself away to write your book mm. or you're sort of, you know, in that more deep thought tunnel, mm. you can't, I mean, I saw that you use... I mean, I don't know whether you still do this, but use that app Freedom to sort of turn off everything and then you write a list of things that you want to Google later. Yeah. Obviously, in order to produce the kind of, well, I imagine, incredibly zeitgeisty content that you do on your Instagram, that requires you to be on the pulse all the time. Do you have to think about that or does that come naturally? Do you just absorb what's around you and then immediately regurgitate it? Or do you, as you sort of, yeah, as you write more things that basically require you to turn off the outside noise... I'm a compulsive note taker, mm-hmm. so I will try and capture. I will. I so when I go to sleep at night, I put on a, a audio book and I open my notes app because I have to. The number of times I've woken up 
thought of something really great and gone back to sleep and forgotten it. So I'm really become really attuned to like don't let the thought just pass you by. And then sometimes I will go through that file when I'm there's a funny picture of some like Lady Gaga this week looking funny, and I'll be like, oh, she looks like that girl from school. Remember when everyone was wearing long cardigans? Like yeah, it might yeah. just be that. For me, that to, to, for me to hit the zeitgeist and. It's not an exact science, but you have to basically... It's changed as well, because I used to try and make something that felt timeless, and I think that is the way that we were all making stuff. At Nowness, for sure, it was like, does this feel timely that you should see it now, but is it going to be look great in a year or two years? And now, on Instagram, two years means nothing. Well, yeah. Two years in the future means nothing. 20 minutes ago means nothing to a degree so for me it's more about like I think this right now and if you hit that then you hit that and it's perfect let's move on to your next piece so yes. this is the piece that reminds you of a great party so for this you've chosen your acne trousers mm. that you've split and rebuilt hundreds <laughs> of times I love this analogy so um, firstly I mean how do you split them is there a particular are you like slut dropping your way through acne trousers <laughs> like, is this... I don't know and I saw someone the other day that I know like medium well and they're like you're always splitting your trousers open <laughs> and I was like right so I've, I've really dined out on that um I don't know. It must be just the... It was like this... It's been like this since I was, like, 19. Maybe this is why you didn't pull any moves in the Gucci suit, because every time yeah. you pull a dance... Oh, my like, God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they've been... Um, I, I say in my book that my party trousers have been rebuilt more times than Glasgow School of Art. <laughs> they, I just, that makes me weird. The woman on the, who... Um, uh, at the place on, my, on the high street is just like, OK, so... I can't actually sew this back together. We have to now patch it from the inside. Uh, but I'm, I, like I said, I'm a, I'm a man of like simple slacks, and I just have this. I have an eBay and a Google alert, and I'm waiting for another pair in my size to someone somewhere to sell it, and I will. I'll just buy more because the the trousers are really giving up the ghost. Uh, but I, I I do love going out for a dance. I like to shimmy i like to move i'm a stand-up drunk can you tell can you describe your ideal party um either a party that you've been to like your birthday or a particularly memorable one or just like the blueprint for a raven smith's perfect party perfect party party pieces here we go again (laughs) perfect party pieces by raven smith uh what do i like what makes a perfect party ah an energy oh so ambient what is a perfect party i like three types of party one is like a dinner party and then a kitchen disco. Mm-hmm. That's a great party. Mm-hmm. Oof. I like a big kind of fashion party where everyone is has made a real effort. I've actually thought of several different types of party as I'm saying this. I love a wedding. I mean, nothing is as good as a wedding. Nothing. And actually, the less people you know, the better it is. <laughs> because they're like, who's that dancing guy? He's fun. And I'm like, come Ooh, on. I'm, I'm, and I'm great with mums. So it's like me and the mum of the bride, we're like, we're shimmy, shimmy, shimmy. And then I also love like grotty party that like, I say they smell like sick and metal <laughs> and they're just dark. And you're like, what? This is fun too. And you just hear a moist like. Yeah, <laughs> I like that as well. So kind of related to parties. Yeah. Um, the next category is one piece that makes you feel sexy. Mm. And you have said that you don't dress sexy as a rule. Mm. Um, and then maybe accidentally sexy. You find that women throw themselves at you when you wear very boring clothes, Trick. like a suede jacket and white tee so i just i want to ask you <laughs> about is, firstly yeah. why do you not dress sexy as a rule and second to that i want to basically dispute this because um 
obviously doing a bit of an Instagram stalk. The sleeveless vest from the mango dinner. The yep. silver Dior suit. Like, not not sexy items. Sure. So why, what is the rule <laughs> about not dressing sexy? And would you admit that maybe you're like wavering on that rule or am I completely wrong? No, you're not wrong. Uh... <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> I have confidence, but I don't think it's like a sexy confidence. I, like, I am... I'm confident in my ability to like get on with people, get a room dancing, ra- like get a rebel, like rouse people up, uh, rebel uprising. I don't know why I'm saying that, but so I, that for me is not like sexy energy. It's like just party vibes. Yeah. So uh, I'm not afraid of like showing my flesh. Like, do you know what I mean? But sometimes I feel a bit like one of the things I got sent from a different brand for the. Uh, fashion awards was like a sheer shirt mm. and it looked really fucking great I was like this looks so good but I also feel like Jodie Marsh in three belts <laughs> like I'm like I want someone to take my picture and I and I think for me of course I want people to take my picture and, and the validation that I'm picking nice clothes and people think they look nice but I also don't want to be that person who is like baiting photographers to get like to, I, I don't want to be that person, and I think that person usually is exposing more and more and more flesh. But you talk about it's a black V-neck jumper with no sleeves, so there is this kind of like minimalism that a lot of women are like, "You look so good," and I'm yeah. like, "Yeah, it's never the jazzy shirt. It's True. not." Oh my god, I've been so bad. I just fallen right. <laughs> no, but it's fine. But it's like it's it's never. People aren't like, ooh. When I wear, they're like, "That looks. You look really nice." But the, the sexy stuff is like much more kind of like old school men, so like cowboyish, mm-hmm. chefy. And what do you find sexy in others? So this can be both clothes, but also like personality traits. Oh yeah, but I love a good. Oh, I love a good sense of humor. Uh, what do I think is sexy in other people? Being tall, big nose. The end. <laughs> That is it. Sometimes I'm like, is he handsome or is he tall with a big nose? <laughs> I'll never know. That's the same thing to me. I can't differentiate. Um, what is what, what <laughs> um, what's like the least sexy thing that someone can wear? Oh, can wear? Yeah. Three belts. Three belts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jodie. I love her. Bless her. And in terms of uh, like, well, sort of using sexy as a catch-all for sort of attractive than best dress I'm a bit of a reach here but best dress like celebrity oh my mind is completely blank who oh childish Gambino when he yeah when he wore that purple suit Gucci suit with the all seeing eye on the back I was like this is that's what I should be wearing I wish I was wearing that and our last category so this is the one that got away so this is something that either you've lost or you really wish you'd bought mm. um, and for this you have chosen a Pride a, a, pri- a Friday Pride uh, a Prada Tide shirt um, <laughs> <laughs> that used to be uh, a Prada Tide shirt <laughs> when did the cause get here uh, <laughs> yeah. no one yeah. tell me about it um, there's a shirt it's like a swirl of green Prada tie dye I couldn't afford it when it came out, and ne- I wish I had it more than anything. I've, I I bought one on one of those apps, Grailed, and the, we did a deal, and it was great. And then two days later, the guy's like, I'm sorry, this was an inventory muck-up. We don't have it anymore. And I was devastated. Um, And maybe this is a bit sinister, but what outfit would you like to be buried in? I told my husband I had a cold, and he was like, but what are you going to wear in your coffin? <laughs> Uh, it's really hard because 
I just got that joke. (laughs) (laughs) But I just feel a bit like, I don't know what is going to... I don't know what I want to wear forever. Part of the the best thing about clothes is the constant evolution. Maybe the green suit. And that is the end of the episode. Raven, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm going to go home and get a better outfit on. (laughs) (laughs) All right.